Hating, hating finals week, it's terrible. Um, you can do it. It's not fun while it lasts, but then it gets done. So, um, so yeah, it's good to be with you all tonight. Uh, this is our last, last, uh, last large group for this semester. It's really flown by. This semester's gone faster, I think, than any other semester that I've, uh, that I've been here. So, um, yeah. So that's our last one. We will not meet for finals next, I mean, for finals next week. We will do the movies and that's it. So let you all study and then, uh, and then you can go on your way. Those of you who are going to Westco, we started a group me to start getting that process started. If you did not get on that group me, let us know and we will uh, make sure you're on there. Um, just a few quick announcements. First, uh, tonight is Lizzie's last night with large group. Ten, um, so Lizzie has been faithfully leading. Where is she? Lizzie, did you? Oh, there she is. Uh, yes, yeah, she's she's out. Now Lizzie's been faithfully leading, so let's just say thank you to Lizzie for. We're grateful. She has more nursing school to do, but uh, she won't be leading worship with us. So, um, then next thing we are, I said I put this on the group me. We're looking for um, volunteers to help. There's a widow in uh, at the church that we most many of us go to. Um, she's looking for people to help move her from her home into a, hosp- uh, a care facility. A, a, and so we're looking for one more person. So if the Lord is laying it on your heart to help her move, it's just for a few hours on Saturday morning, come talk to me. Um, and uh, that would be great. So one other volunteer if you're able to. Um, so, and then lastly, Christmas party at my house tomorrow night. It's going to be fun, low-key chill. Um, wear an ugly sweater. We'll have wassail. Because wassail's a hit. Because you fools don't know anything about wassail. If you don't know, then come get some. Um, and what else are we doing? I don't know. We'll have tamales because we're in New Mexico and all that. So it'll be good. So our, our series on the Heart of the King wraps up tonight. And uh, we are going to cycle back. We've been working, sort of working our way through the book of Matthew. And we're going to press on with that tonight. But we're actually going to go back to the very beginning. And look at uh, the origin of the king. The origin of the king, which is uh, Jesus birth because it is almost up till Christmas it's Advent the time that Christians historically have celebrated and observed Jesus coming Um, and so we're going to look again at Jesus the heart of the king and see what it shows us Um, and there's so many different ways that we've seen over this last semester the heart of the king on display and I hope that's been encouraging to you I know it's been encouraging to me Um, so many different layers of images and pictures that Matthew uses um, to interpret and apply to us who is this king. Um, But if there's one thing that Matthew wants to communicate to us all throughout his book, it's the thing that he tells us tonight on Christmas most clearly than all, and that's the king has come into the world, right? The king has come into the world. And so we're going to look at that. Some of you, this is old hat. You've been like, oh man, Christmas Some of you, you're thinking about it in new ways, theologically maybe, uh, more than just a cultural thing. But for all of us, it's so, it's important to go back to this. So we're going to look at that tonight and see the king who comes into the world and look at that. This is a shorter message than normal, because I know you don't want to hear me talk. You're all tired of lectures. So uh, the king has come into the world. Christmas is a time where we celebrate, where we rejoice, and where we meditate on that simple, wonderful idea. Um, and so our, our text tonight is going to show us two quick angles for that, two quick angles for the king coming into the world. First, the king comes and wicked, wicked powers reject him, and the king has come and believing hearts worship him. 
So that's it. Simple as that. So uh, if you have a Bible or your bulletin, we'll read this and then uh, we'll look at it. So this is from Matthew chapter 2. And this is God's word. First verse. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we, saw him, for we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And the assembling of all the chief priests and scribes and the people, he inquired of them, Where is the Christ? No, where, where, where the Christ was to be born? Then they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, and I, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that, had been, that, that, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense and myrrh, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, thanks for giving us the endurance and the strength to get us to this point. Thank you that you are indeed the king who has come and the king who will come. Father, I pray that those truths would settle into our hearts and into our community in profound ways and shape us all. to worship the king, to follow him, to live for him, and to give him the glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so looking again, big idea here is that the king has come. Christmas, right? Sorry, singing and talking. Where's my voice out? Um, So the king has come. First thing to look at is that wicked powers reject him. Wicked powers reject him. So verse 3 shows us right off the bat, sets the stage. Now, Jesus has been born. We looked at verse uh, chapter 2 a while back, if you were here, the very first large group we did, of, which is uh, Jesus' birth. This is after the fact, a few months, years, possibly even. And, and uh, so these wise men come to visit Jesus. Uh, wise men is what our text calls them. We don't know a whole lot about them. The text doesn't go into a lot of detail about them, about who they are. Um, We know that they are non-Jewish astrologers, so they're not ethnically Jewish, and they studied or practiced some kind of astrology. They knew the the stars, they knew what was not supposed to happen in the the skies, and so they knew something had happened in the, the land of Judah that was significant, and so they come to inquire about it. And it's kind of funny what they do. They go to the king of the land and they ask, hey, where's the king? Which is kind of, if you think about it, a funny, ironic, it's an ironic move. If you look in this, in this passage we just read, the word king repeats itself over and over and over again. And Matthew is setting up here a contrast, even a conflict between kings right off the bat. So you'll see they go to Herod, Matthew says, the king, and they say to him, 
Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And if you're anything, if you know anything about that, you know, Herod, Herod, he's not a stable man. He's not, he's unhinged. Immediately, he's going to say, this is a threat. This is, uh, this is, a, this is obviously a threat. And, and it's funny because they just show their cards. And so right off the bat, you see conflict. Conflict enters into the life of Christ from the very get-go. Is that someone comes and says, somebody's born, he's a king, and the powers that be say, whoa, 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 no, they're not. And it's pretty funny because it would be like you walking into a class while your professor is lecturing, your professor is in a lecture and saying, so who's the new professor who's uh, replacing you? And the professor would be like, hmm, no. Uh-uh, I, you didn't, it's like, there's an obvious, right off the bat, there would be a challenge of authority. Right off the bat, there would be a challenge. And so Matthew, is, he's at least establishing conflict right off the bat. It's almost funny that the, the Magi, these wise men, right out there are like, you know what we should do, you know, let's go to the king and talk about the new king. I thought it was funny. So Herod is, he goes nuts. He hears about this new king, and he, he starts this, this plan. Um, and, and, you know, if you know the rest of the story, he says, well, tell me where the king is, and I want to go worship him. And actually, he's lying. He plans to then go to the area, and he ends up committing a huge uh, infanticide and killing all the, the babies of that age in the, uh, in, in the town because he doesn't want a threat to his power. Uh, and just so he goes on the warpath when he hears about this new king. But what's interesting here is that, again, Matthew is by saying king, king, conflict, king against king, right off the bat. Matthew is using a story, a what happened in Jesus' life to point a, to, to create and point to a spiritual reality, a theological truth, which is so important. And this is what we see over and over again, that Matthew uses stories and parables to teach us theology. And then what we see here is right off the bat that Jesus comes as king in opposition to a whole other set of king and worldly principles, kingly powers. And all of a sudden, there's, there's a battle, there's conflict between this new king that has come and the wicked king and everything that he stands for and represents. In this place and time that was Herod, the wicked and ruthless man who oppresses and kills and babies and, and does not worship God. Uh, but, but, but more than that, is there's something happening here that tells us what's going on more than, and you can see this in the whole Bible, is that it's not just Herod that this conflict is happening. That this, ha- this sort of conflict happens any time you have a true encounter with King Jesus. Is right off the bat, there's a clash of authorities. Jesus comes in and says, I am king. What are you going to do about it? It's not just evil kings back in the day that do this, but even sometimes, often our own hearts, the human heart has that same impulse to reject kingly authority. And it's because the Bible tells us we're sinners, right? We are, we are naturally people who rebel and reject and resist any kind of claim or statement of authority over us. In fact, in America, we've sort of built our political identity about this. Don't tell me what to do. I'm an American. I live in the home of the free and the land of the brave or something like that. And it's, 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 we, we build our whole thing of our political and we're individuals. Don't tell me who I am. Don't tell me who, what I have to do. I don't bow to anyone. I have, uh, there's a wise pastor I was reading about this, this, this chapter. He says, this dark episode of King Herod violent lust for power points to something that happens in all humans, which is our natural resistance to and even hatred 
for the claims of God in our lives. That in a way, when Jesus is proclaimed king anytime, on campus or in Judea in 2021 or in 2,000 years ago, with claims of authority and power, and when Jesus says, follow me, submit to me, obey me in every area of your life, that's what Jesus as king does. He says, I am king over everything. All of your life, how you think about money, how you think about sexuality, how you think about grades, how you think about relationships, all of it, I'm king over it. Follow me in all of those things. Every human heart has a knee-jerk reaction of no. Rejection, rebellion, usurping his authority. And so in there, there's there's a Christmas king challenge to us all to, again, in Christmas, go back to, here's the king who comes to earth and claims ultimate authority over your and my life. And to be daily anew, renewing, asking ourselves, which king am I going to follow? Am I going to follow my own agenda, or am I going to follow and submit to the king and his rules, the king and the standards that he has given us, which is his word? And even those of us who are Christians, who have grown up knowing this, and are like, oh, Christmas again. And as me, I've been a Christian for almost as long as I can remember. There's always going to be this residue of rejection of the king. It's because we're humans and we still have that sinful nature in us. There's that piece of us that still kicks against the king and says, no, not this time. Not, Jesus, you can have me on this time. Jesus, you can have this part of my life. But here's me. I'm still, I still have this. This is mine still. And so I've been thinking about as I've been meditating on this today and this week is where is that in myself? Like where are the parts of my life, my money is a huge one for Americans, my, my whole person, Jonathan, my family, that I, that I need to submit to the King Jesus who has come into our world. And I ask you the same question. Where is that part in your life where you're saying, ah, oh man, Jesus is calling me to submit in this. Jesus is calling me to give up that. But it's not just our own human hearts that reject the King. There's something also bigger happening here. Human Herod is not just a picture of what happens in each heart. Herod is a picture of the whole worldly system which rebels and rejects against the king. The world hates the king. Christmas is the uncovering and of the revealing of a king who comes to earth and not just human hearts, but actually anything that's not under the king, anything that's not in the kingdom of God rejects the king. And this goes all through Jesus' life. It's so interesting here how the first time Jesus encounters opposition, someone says, he's king of the Jews. And do you remember the last thing that the opposition said to Jesus when he hung on the cross? They hung a sign on him and said, king of the Jews. That from the get, the whole angle of Jesus' life, from every piece of Jesus' life, has been political, social, church leaders, everybody, the whole system. You want to talk about systemic oppression has been a systemic oppression of Jesus. Herod displays here a larger story of the whole Bible, which is two warring kingdoms. The world, a system of economic and political and social and even religious factors that we live in, forces, government, schools, families, even our churches have sometimes a built-in hostility to King Jesus. 
And, and just like that personal rejection happens, it can happen even more on a societal level. And sin does not just mean that we as individuals reject the king. It means that there are aggregations of sinful humans that build systems that reject the king and his rule. And that's where injustice and oppression and abuse and inequality come from. And the Bible says that the source of our problems in our world come ultimately from rejection of the king. And so if you look into your life and you look into your world and say something's not right, something is wrong, there's, there's, there's not peace in my life, in my world, the Bible would say that that stems from a rejection of King Jesus. Someplace in your life or someplace in some place, that has happened, someplace. And so if we're going to start to find peace, Jesus comes to bring peace, righteousness, kindness, love. It comes by first acknowledging and recognizing him as king. And so that's what starts to happen in this story. Is you see the wise men, they come and they say, we want to go to this king, and what do they want to do? We saw his star, verse 2, when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So that's the second point. The king has come, and believing hearts move in worship towards him. And here's the good news, that Christianity means that a good king has come. That the king does not just leave us down here in our systems and our hearts of miserable rejection of him, but that he comes down into the mire and the muck and the mess of your life and into the mire and the muck and the mess of our world and says, we're going to start fixing this. If you, I don't know any better picture of this than the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you all have read that, it's this beautiful picture of the young hero from the land across the sea is the way she, she talks about it. It's just, uh, uh, who comes to redeem and save our world. And this is amazing because if you think about it, what would, this is, no other king would ever do this. Think of a king who has, who, who, whose people rebel against him, who reject him, who say, we want nothing to do with your rule. We want nothing to do with your, with, with your, with your kingdom, with your culture, nothing to do with you. We reject you. What would a, what would a king do to that? He would send an invading army over them and he would pound them into submission. He would annihilate, I mean, that's what every other nation does in the history of the world. Is whenever there's a rebellion, the bigger guys send their armies and say, uh uh uh, get back under. And they send the boot of the military in and they crush. But look at what King Jesus does. He comes as a helpless baby to the back end of the smallest kingdom, the smallest nobody nation in the universe. He, 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 just, he just comes in and says, he doesn't come in to pound a rebellious world. He doesn't come in to pound you and me back into submission. He does not come in power and wrath. He comes as a tiny baby in frailty and weakness to slowly win his people back to himself. Isn't that interesting? No other king has ever done that in history. No other king comes to a rebellious people who reject him and says, I love you so much that I'm going to live in and among you so much so that you will kill me. And I still love you. And I will rise back from the life, back to life. When we sit in that kind of grace of a king towards you and me, that prompts a warmness in our lives and our hearts. So it's like, what, why would I reject a king who moves towards me in that kind of free love and that kind of grace and that kind of kindness? Mercy. We don't deserve it. 
He just comes in closer and closer. You know, there's a great old pastor with Jesus yesterday. He says if he had to define what Jesus does, if he had to define the gospel into two words, he says it would be come closer. Come closer. That Jesus, who is the king, doesn't say, all right, let's go. He says, come closer. And he comes closer. He becomes a human, a tiny baby who cried, who, 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 who had weird sleep cycles, who didn't know how to eat, and then would grow up and ultimately die for the people who reject him. Jesus is a gentle and lowly baby who loves and woos people back to follow him and worship him. And we've seen that over and over again in our study of Matthew, of the heart of the king. If you don't, then read the book of Matthew. Let's go back and listen to the, some of the things that we've talked about over the semester. That Matthew shows us over and over that Jesus is the good king who loves us into following him. Doesn't oppress us or abuse us into following him. Herod, the world, is a king that comes in and says, there's a new king, I'm going to wipe out a village. Jesus is who a king who comes in as a baby and loves those who reject him. And if you think about that, that kind of gentle love is always more persuasive than force. Would you rather be compelled to do something because you have to or there's punishment? Or would you rather follow someone because you know they love you? Because you know they care for you? Because you know they would even die for you? So we see two kings here. A king who acts in violence and aggression. We see a king who acts in gentle and lowliness who will give up power to protect others. Jesus the king brings people who would normally reject him and welcomes them in. And these magi are the perfect example, these wise men. These are religious outsiders and ethnic outsiders. So they're ethnic outsiders. They're not Jews. They're not a part of what has historically been the people that God follows and loves. And they come in and they worship Jesus. They're also religious outsiders. They practice astrology, which in the Old Testament was a capital crime. You practice astrology, you could be put to death for it. And what has happened? They come in and they say, no, 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 we're going to worship Jesus. And they come and they, they, they present to him their most costly treasures. Do you see what the king does here? He takes hearts and systems which would rebel and reject him, and he works new love and new life into them so that they love and worship and sacrifice to him. He does that to you and me to this day. Where he takes the hearts that would, in our, our own hearts, which would rebel and reject his, his authority, and by his love, by showing us his grace, he says, it's a better way. Come, follow me. See my love. You see how a loving and kind he is as a king who doesn't destroy, but says, come in, enjoy and worship me in my love. This is a king who woos us with his love, not crushes us into subjection. And, 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 and this is, this is inc how incredibly welcoming and inclusive Christianity is. Christianity also gets the rap for being an exclusive religion. People are like, oh, those Christians are very exclusive. And, and it's one of the major criticisms of Christianity today is that it tends to exclude others. And I hope you see here that that is not the heart of the king. Jesus is the most inclusive person that ever walked this world. People who should not have been in his presence. <laughs> Read, you and me. He welcomes them in. The people who the, are the pariahs of society, that has, society had said they cannot, will not, and never be redeemable, valuable, or cherishable people. Jesus says, those are the ones I want most of all. 
So Christianity, that is the heart of Christ, is a deeply inclusive religion. And Christianity is a deeply submitting religion because we are called to follow the king who would love and welcome and cherish us. Do you see how that works at the same time that Christianity can be so welcoming and yet also call us to submit our whole life, every piece of who we are, to the king? So what's going on in this text? Well, what's going on in this text is what goes on in Christmas and what we observe every year, that a king comes. He comes into a world that rejects him. He comes into my life, into your life, when we are knee-jerk rejecting him. And he shows us love, grace, mercy, peace, not by pounding us into submission, but by coming as a little baby who would ultimately die on a cross because he loves us in our place. He will earn the love of his people, you and me, by his love. He'll reshape our society around dignity, compassion, and justice. He'll restore women and men's right relationship with God, not based on laws or power, but based on trust and faith. That's the king that's coming into this world. So as you go into this Christmas season, remember that the heart of the king is nothing but love for you, and he calls you to follow and love him. He calls me to love and follow him, not because you have to, but because you get to, but because that's the heart of the king. Let me pray.